Welcome to Here's a Solution, the podcast where talking about work doesn't have to feel like it. Presented by Emily Shandruck Solutions with your host, Emily Shandruck and Chelsea Lockstead. Now, are you ready to get real about the everyday workplace? Hey, Chelsea. Hey. I think this is a special episode, isn't it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> no further questions. <laughs> I think we said this was our 15th. Yeah, this is our 15th episode and our season finale. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations on a season. Congratulations on a this season. Is what it's like to be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> and I think when we look back at some of the topics we've covered, I feel like we've set like a pretty good foundation for... I think our initial hopes and dreams for the podcast. Yeah, exactly. And then we're into December, sorry, November now. It'll be Christmas, a little break, and Mm -hmm. then we'll come back refresh in January for our sophomore season. Yeah, like I'm really interested in January to really maybe talk about like workplace resolutions. Yeah, that's a great idea. I am someone that really, I've always been like this. I love New Year's. I love the idea of, um, like a new year, new me. Like I get that time as a construct we've made up, but I love the idea of like, this is like a fresh beginning. Like I, I need that like cylindrical thinking. Right. You know? So the topic for today is looking at generations in the workplace. And it's something that I've had up on our potential podcast topic and ideas board for a while. And it was something that I was doing some research on when I was helping a client who was going to be going through like a leadership transition. So former owners of a, of a company were essentially passing the torch to a younger group of new leaders who then had a group of younger sort of whether they're interns or just more juniors in the, in the company. And it got me thinking about the workplace. And actually, looks like I'm not the only one because there's actually quite a bit out there about generations in the workplace. This is the first time in history that we have ever had five generations in the workplace. Wow. And I mean, I think that, you know, it goes with the fact that people are living longer, mm-hmm. working longer, working longer for whichever reasons, you know, whether they have to or they choose to. So that, so the five generations that we would cur- could currently have in the workplace start with the traditionalists. So that's anybody born within 1922 and 1945. Wow. Damn. Yep. So then we have the baby boomers. We all know them. <laughs> 46 to 64. That's right. Uh, so that that would be my parents' generation. Mm-hmm. And then you have Gen X. So that's anybody born 1965 to 1980. That's my parents' generation. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have... It, in this one article, like the millennials, or they called it Gen Y, which is 1981 to 1996. So that's the generation that I technically fall within, mm-hmm. but I feel we can get into this. Mm-hmm. I'm much more of that cusper in, in 81 as a zennial or an elder millennial. I don't like to be called a geriatric millennial. But <laughs> Nobody's calling you that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the Gen Z. So that's 1997 to 2012. Mm-hmm. And I know that's technically where you fall. Yeah, I'm technically not a cusper, but I feel like a cusper. We'll get into that too. Yes. So it's been interesting when I've been doing a little bit of of reading and just sort of looking at 
the fact that you could have these five generations in a workplace and really talking about what each of these generations uniquely bring to a workplace, but also the unique challenges and potential conflicts that you could be encountering. Mm -hmm. And I distinctly remember when I was hired for a role and my director sort of looked at me and I know you can't really ask like how old you are kind of thing Mm -hmm. but it was like you're not a millennial are you (laughs) them in their workplace balance (laughs) it's all bullshit I just I kept picturing this like scenario of like a young person going in to work with someone who was born in you know 1945 or like like you know your mom's age or like a grandparent's age or whatever and them being like when I started working women weren't allowed to have bank accounts right (laughs) women might not have been actually legally people yeah just casual things that I've seen within my lifetime yeah yeah and then you get into the nuances and and of, of maybe more of those traditionalists or boomer generation when you then encounter maybe the new conversations that are happening around you know it's not just he her but now it's they them mm-hmm. and and the the challenges that they're saying that they have with this you know whereas I feel like my mom's generation the boomers technology was their big hurdle like my mom still hands me her phone and goes what what's wrong and I'm like it just needs an update well and like because the baby boomers it's a 20 year generation but I remember reading in school that it's often split people think of it as like 1946 to 1952 as the first wave of baby boomers Mm -hmm. so Bill Clinton would have been the first first half baby boomer president and then 1953 to 1964 is the second half. And that would have been Obama would have been the first, right. second half baby boomer president. Because if you were born in 1946, your childhood compared to someone born in 1964 would have been completely different. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And I find it funny how the baby boomer generation to me is so interesting. Like, it's almost like a little, like, passion of mine looking at these people because, um... Like, especially looking at this, um, the people that would have been in, like, their 20s, their early adulthood in, like, the 60s, mm-hmm. were, like, living in the most radical time. Absolutely. And, like, seeing, like, I don't even think I can comprehend what seeing the moon landing on TV would have been like. Right. You know? They went through huge technological change. Like, they went through, they were this first generation, like, they all got a polio vaccine. And all yeah. of a sudden, for the first time in history children weren't just dying in mass waves you know yeah they went through so much change like women started working the pill like all this stuff and now they're like I can't call I can't say they yeah I'm just done (laughs) yeah and this was a conversation I was having with someone like within my generation around we we get that right now things are changing and like it, but it's we've always felt like maybe it's more on the technological side but as you just brought up our parents generation and even more of that traditional generation the massive changes and things that they went through like to me are are monumental like you mentioned landing on the moon like the invention of the television. Mm-hmm. And now we all essentially have tiny TVs in our hand TVs, through cell phones, yeah. right? And so, like, I feel like, yes, techno- like technology and that right now is advancing. But I feel like we've come into where the advancements seem less historical and less monumental than 
the massive things that came after like World War One, World mm-hmm. War Two, the Vietnam War, like those major things that then made the world a different like a different place after they happened. Yeah. And I mean, it was interesting in, in reading about some of the things based around labor statistics and that for these, because I mean, even like you said before, women couldn't have bank accounts, but you think back to the women that then went to work during World War II mm-hmm. and what that did to change the workplace. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there was a bit of backsliding, you know, when the men came back and that, but they've said that back, you know, before we had Zoom and before we had the different ways of of communicating virtually or through technology, it was all this. It was people talking. It was mm-hmm. people doing live presentations. I mean, you want to think about Mad Men, right? You're doing mm-hmm. the pitch. Mm-hmm. And so they said more of that baby boomer generation, even into Gen X, are really great public speakers because that's what they had to do because they had to do more public speaking. Right. That's true. I never thought of that. That they are actually good. And they actually related that. And I think it kind of comes into more of like what we talk about is they were actually very good at negotiation Mm -hmm. and working through some workplace problems because they had to talk Mm -hmm. versus then you get into well, here's like a good example, I think, of what you're going to say yeah. is like, so it's very common, I find, to hear people say like around my age, they hate making phone calls, mm, like calling yeah. the doctor's office and make an appointment. <laughs> like a lot of people I know, their parents still does it. Even like when a server comes to your table to take your order, it's hard for them to have that social interaction. And this is a generalization. Obviously, not everyone struggles with this, but I think it directly relates back to that yeah and I think yeah I think it goes into parenting and all of that as well well in school like a lot more I mean literally just having this conversation with my kids like I didn't grow up being able to communicate instantly with my friends yes yeah you had to call and you had to talk to their parent on the phone to ask them to hand it to them right and like I grew up in such a rural area, I still had a party line Mm -hmm. that if I was on the phone too long and I heard my neighbor pick up the phone, I knew like, okay, well, they need the phone. Well, it's interesting because, again, in one of the articles, it talked a lot about how Gen Z, again, were launching their careers amid, they said, a lot of like technological shifts as well as a global pandemic. But this, this has actually made, and I don't want to say your generation, but that generation very good at adapting and, nece- and thinking outside the box because, again, they could look at maybe the traditionalists or the boomers or the Gen Xs and kind of be like, okay, they are probably the generation that uses that phrase, but we've always done it this way. Mm-hmm. And then you get into more of the maybe millennials and the Gen Zs that are like, well, so what? Mm-hmm. Well, and I saw a really interesting article that was talking about the difference between millennials and Gen Zs where, so the millennials were the generation that faced the disappointment. You were told you were always going to have this. You reached adulthood. You didn't have it, which is awful. But then the Gen Zs, we weren't even promised it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, we saw, like, and and so that's why I wanted to talk about, like, my generation, for example. So my, I was born in 1999. I would go ahead and argue, like, there is less of an age difference. I'm so sorry to say this out loud to you. There's less of an age difference between me and your children than me and you. Correct. But I would argue that your childhood and my childhood were more similar than the childhood, like my childhood and your kid's childhood. Because in 1999, like I was still watching 
VHS tapes. Like, my early memories of watching movies, VHS. You remember going to Blockbuster. I went to Blockbuster. You remember um, the disappointment when none of the boxes had the video behind it. They would have been DVDs. I remember them being DVDs. Yes. But still. But, and then even, I even though we had progressed past dial-up, my grandparents had dial-up. You know, so I went on that. So that's where I think the internet all of a sudden, like, in my adolescence, that's when it, like, rapidly started changing. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why I have a hard time saying that I'm Gen Z because I'm so aware of, like, the millennial culture, Gen Gen X culture. So my parents are Gen Xers, and maybe this is just my specific parents, but, like, my dad was like, if you're watching a movie, if I'm going to have to sit down and watch a kid's movie, it's going to be a kid's movie that... I watched. Right. You know, so I watched a lot of, like, movies from the 80s, 70s and 80s, and was, and that, again, like, that's probably specifically, like, my parents doing that. <laughs> well, and I wonder, too, if that also ties back to just, like, this, this like, generational trauma, I guess, that millennials have of, like, you are so desperate for, like, this simpler time because you were at a very specific age for, like, 9-11 and the invasion of Iraq and the recession. And so you, I feel like maybe your life is kind of, like, cut in half of, like, it's very easy to see this juxtaposition of this, like, er earlier, better time. You Mm -hmm. know, like, the 90s were the last great generation. Right. And then in your, like, fundamental early adult years, it was like, here's this shit show. Well, yeah, like, it's very interesting that the millennial generation gets tagged with the great resignation, mm-hmm. right? Because that we're the generation that is leaving jobs or leaving the work tradition. I'm going to say like quote unquote traditional workplace of working a nine to five, or we're the generation that might have two full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think that that is setting up future generations mm-hmm. um, in, in, in any positive way, because to what you're saying before, like we were definitely raised by the boomers to be like, you can have it all. Mm -hmm. You can be a mom. You can have a full-time career. You can go to soccer practice. You can pack for a girls weekend and then you can have the family. Like, no, no, Mm -hmm. no, we can't. Because to do that now, especially like in the thick of it with children, with careers, after a pandemic, like, no, we can't. We can't, we're tired. And I don't think, it's very strange how, okay, so we've established that women work and the vast majority of households are two-parent working household, but we still haven't figured out, like, there's still the whole issue of, like, the silent labor. Yeah. Like, the fact oh, yeah. that we, it's still designed, though, that, okay, so now the woman works, but also somehow she still has all of the, like, homemaker duties. Yeah. And we haven't adjusted to, I don't think, in, like, a mainstream way, like, a household where it's 50% division. Yeah. Between both spouses. Which... I would say it's never going to be 50-50. And when you get into that, and I'm going to say this this actually goes for the workplace too. Like if you have colleagues and if you're expecting everything to be split 50-50, then it turns into a very much like a tit for tat. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to pull a quote from Love is Blind, but I kind of am. <laughs> Where you need, you need two people that are in it 100%. Mm-hmm. Be, and you need to know that on some days, I'm doing three loads of laundry and emptying the dishwasher. Or some days, I'm the one that needs to pick up the coffee for the, the team meeting and, the, and make sure the boardroom is set up. Mm-hmm. Because I know that Bob had to take his mom to an appointment and Cheryl got tra- stuck in traffic and it's, it's on me today. Mm-hmm. And even if it was on me last week, 
that's okay. I'm in this 100%. I know. And if you've created that workplace where people understand that we can work together and I got your back and we'll figure this out. It's when you get into that, well, I already did it. So not on me mm-hmm. in any, in any instance that that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. One of the other articles that I was reading, learning about generations <laughs> was this, it came up under a parent's guide to Gen Z. Mm-hmm. And I say Z cause I'm Canadian. Mm-hmm. And the first quote it says is, they're like millennials on steroids, except when they're not like millennials at all. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Could be said about anything. Yeah. And it's interesting because they were saying, like, are you looking at today's teenagers and wondering why they're always online or how on earth their views on things like life in general can be so drastically different from yours? And I think the first question answers the second question. I, I look at even my kids and honestly, even when I went to go research for this, the amount of information on generations mm-hmm. was... I could Google it in three seconds. I had a ton of articles and to sift through the ones to be like, what will help me have a conversation about what is it like to actually have different generations in the workplace? How do you maybe play to certain strengths and lean on others to maybe, how do you partner people to like get the best out of them? Mm-hmm. So not getting into too much of the, this isn't a parenting podcast. So I won't necessarily get into that. But out of the five generations, they talked about the traditionalists first. And it was quite interesting. So this article, and we can share it in the show notes, was just from this past August. And it was in around a blog about diversity and inclusion. And they talked about how with the traditionalists that... Even as of 2023 into 2024, I think it's always good, just good to preface too yes. that, like, obviously we're making generalized statement about generations, yes. but always keeping in mind that, like, a person who's a baby boomer who is black would have had a completely different experience than a baby boomer's experience mm-hmm. who is white, and that's like can be said about any sort of like different change, you know, like a Absolutely. woman versus a man, versus all of these things. Oh yeah. We take class, race, sex, yeah. gender, all of these things. And we're, we're hundred percent generalizing. Um, but I think that that's just interesting too, though, where then you can get into like those kind of nuances, yeah. you know, like how a black person would have experienced the sixties versus a white person. Like just, I think it's so interesting to think of this idea that these people are all together in a workplace together and their experiences are just, mm-hmm. I don't know, I think it's kind of like a really cool thing, you know, that you can learn so much about different people and just different ways of life, I guess. Yes, and I would say in a perfect world where you can be open to that and someone's yeah. not looking at you going, okay, boomer. Yeah. Um, so the stat that I found quite interesting was that according to this study, and again, we'll link to it, was that in 2030... So that's, I mean, just a little bit over six years away, mm-hmm. 12% of people above the age of 75 will still be actively participating in the workplace. That's crazy. And that is a jump. So the last time they did this type of study was in 2000 and only 5%. Wow. So that's more than doubled 
in 20 years. And I'm going to go ahead and say it's just going to keep rising. 100%. I mean, honestly, if it's not from inflation or just from like, I'm not, so I was thinking about, I was, when I saw this stat, I was thinking about it in, in the fact that it's not just that things cost more. As you were saying, like the following generations who were like told they could have things and it's okay, now they're not. So think about the traditionalist generation. Okay, so maybe the boomers, their kids own a house and maybe they're educated and they went to school. So there was maybe that, maybe they supported in some ways for those major like financial impacts. Okay, but then you have the boomers' kids, which could be both like my generation and Gen X. And the fact that there's still such insane student debt related to our generations, let alone the like Gen Zs. Mm-hmm. And so think about it. Are the traditionalists staying in the workplace because they're helping their 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 grandkids mm-hmm. still afford like to go to school, to pay off school, to maybe look at a house one day? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I'd like to know a little bit more about what's keeping them in the workplace. Mm-hmm. But when they were looking at sort of the different generations, so when they looked at the traditionalists, I think it seems pretty valid and pretty understanding that their values kind of lie around that loyalty, respect, and they have the world, they have the word discipline. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, this is that World War One generation. And this was the, the generation that, you know, always said, yes, you go to school, you get a job. You retire, you die, right? Yeah. And they like have in, one career. In Canada specifically, this would have been a generation that was still living in a Canada that was had much more of, um, how do I put this, influence from, like, the colony, like, from England. Oh, absolutely. You know, like, yeah. my grandma had, like, a photo of the queen. As did mine. Yeah. Yes. You know, <laughs> I think that definitely shaped them. Yes. And so they really talked about how this group. And again, knowing that this is the like labor force that if they're still in the workforce now, they are probably doing the job that they were doing mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so they really like that structured and that stable work environment. They're very used to that transactional leadership style. Mm-hmm. So they're not expecting a boss or a colleague to ask them how they are yeah. unless they're again then going to say oh you're fine good go do this yeah so they do really appreciate that hierarchy built into a workplace they like to know who the boss is because mm-hmm. then they know who to defer to and also just based off of experience and whatnot often these people i would say are at the top of the hierarchy Yes, you're right. So they would be near the top and they really like that. And they're probably going to be the ones that don't want to talk about leveling the playing field Mm -hmm. or, you know, working, you know, in any other structured form. So, you know, it's interesting they talk about in this article again to how to retain them, which I feel like they're they're probably there till they know they can actually retire. Mm -hmm. But they because they like that traditionalist, that top-down, that hierarchy leadership, giving them the opportunity to potentially mentor somebody to, you know, you know, maybe that old saying, like, I'll take you under my wing kind mm-hmm. of thing. They're going to like to feel like they are imparting all their wisdom onto somebody. Right. So, again, if there's a if there's a traditionalist within your workforce, you know, put them in charge of training certain things, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they're the... 
again, even going back to the cultivating safe spaces knowledge is, are they would they be categorized as a storyteller? Because that's your institutional knowledge. So are they the ones that are able to tell you, you know, this is where this company started from and this is where they are now? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's a little bit about the traditionalists. I think they're also referred to as the silent generation. Yes. I've heard that as well. I've heard that, yes. I think in one of these articles I was reading, I talked about that. So then we get into the boomers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it does talk a lot about, and I was reading in a couple other ones, and I'm even thinking about the boomers that I know and about how they might have reached retirement age, mm-hmm. but many want to continue to work, but that some might switch. And so it's been interesting, and I've heard comments from friends and cities from all over Canada that, you know, they're skip the dish driver. Mm-hmm. They look like he could have been my dad or their Uber driver. And although it's been said that the boomers also very much like the traditionalists didn't switch jobs a lot through their careers, I think that this is also the group that didn't need a lot of that like they, again, like the traditions, they didn't want a lot of handholding. They didn't, they didn't want to be micromanaged. Mm-hmm. And so having a career where, like, again, if they have retired from maybe their traditional career and they're able to go into something that's maybe a bit more autonomous, like an Uber driver, where it's just them in their car and they're doing their thing. And again, that would have something that's a very clear goal. It's like they're ambitious, but they don't need a lot of that back and forth from their teams. They really appreciate things like recognition, but they don't want the pomp and circumstance that goes with that. They they find motivation from rewards. So again, if you if you have boomers within your workplace, they want recognition like, hey, you made that sales goal, take next Friday off. They don't want to be called employee of the month and have their picture on a wall. They want those more tangible rewards where they could then have more. It's funny. I find sometimes that that boomer, it bleeds into the Gen X generation where they very much were like against the millennial generation that said, I want work-life balance Mm -hmm. because they were like, no, you got to work to earn your time off. Yet I feel like the boomer generation is very motivated by those types of rewards. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, when you talk about the baby boomers, they were the first generation that was quote-unquote coddled. Like, mm. they went through this shift in parenting style. So I don't know if you've ever heard about, like, uh, Dr. Spock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, he wrote this book, The Baby and Child Care Book. And basically, the whole, like, message around it was, like, actually be affectionate to your child. Right. <laughs> and, like, childhood is a thing that exists. Yeah, I remember... I can't remember if it was second or third year university and I was taking a women in sociology class and we really dove into Dr. Spock's book mm-hmm. and just the impact that that yeah, had on motherhood. Huge. Yeah. And and so it's funny to see the shift of how now they talk about millennials and I feel like there's always a lot of talk about millennials being I don't know if spoiled is the right word, but yeah, like willing to be like, I want this mm-hmm. um, or this isn't fair. And, yeah. and boomers are so quick to be like, that's not how it is. But really, they were the first generation to have that. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it's funny that we kind of talk from like boomers to millennials and we, we skip Gen X. Skip Gen X. <laughs> and I think Gen X would be like, it's okay. Well, it's, it's because like the baby boomer generation is 20 years old. So like my grandparents are baby boomers. They were young grandparents. They yeah. were like 45 when I was born. 
so they were born in like the like 1955 or whatever but then like my boyfriend's dad he was born in 1958 and Mm -hmm. he was 42 when Mitchell was born you know so like there's there's Mitchell will be a Gen Z and his dad is a baby boomer right you know like you're skipping right over two generations two generations I think just because like the size of them people were just getting busy after the war yes <laughs> but then it's funny too like I think this all there's no way to talk about like the workplace without constantly going back to like childhood and parenting styles Absolutely. and all of that and me and my friend Sydney were just talking about how so our parents are Gen Xers and they were like classic latchkey kids and how that really shaped so for both of us both in our experience that really shaped how our parents raised us right and so I was like, I was walking to school from my house, which was, like, a 20-minute walk. I was in the fourth grade mm-hmm. by myself. I would go home, and I was home for myself for a couple hours. I started staying home overnight when I was, like, 11 or 12 years old by myself. And I think that's all because my parents were latchkey kids, and that's how they were raised. And my parents just happened to be people that saw the benefit in that. Right. But I think there's also, I think what was actually more common was people swinging the other way right and they maybe like resent their parents for that and then that's where you're seeing this generation of later millennials early gen zetters who have like those parents that are the um what do well, they call it tiger parents well it, i think it started with tiger helicopter mom. parents but i was gonna say it turned into helicopter parents which in one of my careers when i had to deal with a lot of parents they were 100 helicopter parents like parents of 18 19 20 21 year olds calling my office to have questions about their child's post-secondary education. Yeah. And I had to be honest with them and say, I actually can't tell you anything because they're a legal adult. Mm -hmm. And if you have a question about their academics, any part, like you need to speak to them. Mm -hmm. I think so much of how a generation is like these like standard traits that they have across the board so much of it is reactionary Hmm. to how their parents raised them, which in itself is reactionary to how their parents raised them. Oh, yeah. You know, and you're just seeing... The domino effect. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it it is interesting because Gen X is very much defined as having a very strong work ethic. Mm -hmm. Like, again, they saw it in their parents and their grandparents that, okay, so all I need to do is go to school, get a good education, and I will get a good job. And this will be my job I think initially maybe they saw it as this will be my career. Like, this will be the job I have forever. But because there was a lot of changing social roles, information, like, again, if this is, like, you know, 70s, 80s, a lot was changing. And so the Cold War, like, my dad talks about the effect, like, the Cold War had on him. Yeah. And, like, his childhood. And, like, so when I talk about it, I'm like, no generation has ever felt, like, this kind of dread and, like, scaredness for the future and all that. And he was like... I grew up thinking a nuclear bomb was going to go off at any moment. Right, doing, like, the nuclear bomb, like, Yeah, hiding drills. under the table, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and I again, my children now have to do, like, active shooter drills. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I find, because I think, I don't know if you've heard this kind of stuff, but the, like, Gen Z, it's, it's being progressive, but, like, Gen Z is, um, is, they're thought of as, like, mean, not mean, that's not the right word, but, like, they, like, there's a lot I see on TikTok and Instagram of, like, Gen Z's making fun of millennials. Like, Gen Z humor is very... Oh, yeah, no. Like, biting. I feel attacked sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, but then you think with the Gen Xers, like, they created grunge. Like... Yeah. But, and, and, and to that point, 
in this art, one of the articles I was reading is Gen X is very skeptical of authority. Mm -hmm. You know, they believe competence is far more important than rank. Mm -hmm. So unlike the traditionalists who really liked hierarchy and the boomers who saw the value that if I work for 10 years in this company, I will move from, you know, manager to director and then I will become VP solely because I put in my time. Mm -hmm. That's not good Whereas Gen X has said, no, 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 no. If I'm smarter and better at my job, I don't care if you've been here longer. I deserve that raise and and I deserve that promotion more than you. And so this was the first generation. Even though the millennials or the zennials or whatever I am get tagged with that great resignation more than anything, it's the Gen Xers that were the first to leave their jobs if they were unhappy and to actually create value and maybe the the inklings of that work-life balance that then trickled into the next generation. Mm -hmm. So this is the generation that is very adaptable, um, you know, and that from what I've, from the research that I've done, like they, they actually really do appreciate multi-generational offices and work styles because they want to collaborate. They really strive in with clear feedback So if you have more Gen Xers in your office and you do things like, let's say, annual reviews, they're going to really want to see like the metrics behind that. They're going to say, okay, so what rubric am I being judged against? And they're going to want to know that. And they're also going to want to know, okay, well, what happens when I do really well? Mm -hmm. What's my... Uh, compensation and it's not from a greedy point it's not from but it's knowing that if I do well I want to know that it's working towards something Mm -hmm. so I think this would be a great generation to maybe begin that mentorship if you have younger generations because again they really believe in very strong personal development and they they want to learn from others and pass that on Mm -hmm. so you're not forgotten Gen X (laughs) And then we move on to the millennials. And then we move on to the millennials, which, I mean, up until I would say my my late twenties, maybe even my early thirties, I didn't even know that we were called anything. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't super identify with true millennials, which I think are more of the people in their thirties right now, more yeah. than anything. And like, I, I'm just gonna say it. Sorry to cut you off. No, I was born in 1999. That's such an obvious cutoff point <laughs> for millennials. Like it was. I was born in the the year before the new millennium. Yes. You know? But sorry, go on. (laughs) But no. And so it does talk about how a lot of us started our careers during the Great Recession. So around like 2008. And I think about where I was in 2008. I was about a year out of uh, finishing my master's. I had moved to Vancouver and yeah I was starting a career and I started a career in philanthropy during the recession (laughs) so it was interesting and that's where you know we were that that first generation to really start experiencing those high student loan costs Mm -hmm. very inflated living costs along with this global crisis of the recession of 2008 so we do find motivation in stability in things like job stability knowing that we have a stable job and yet we're also the the generation that is the largest growing group of entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. so we like that stability and that security but we're also okay with creating it ourselves because it it really talked about that we really do value and want to be 
about something bigger than profits. And it's the first time, like, I remember, again, I was working in philanthropy, and I I remember saying, I really want to work for a cause, not a cost. Mm -hmm. And that I was willing to take a job that maybe paid me a little bit less if I knew that they had a good social responsibility, if I thought what I was doing was making a difference. I think we're the first generation that, yeah, wanted to know what our company's policy was around things. I think, you know, that's when, you know, we, we were asking more questions about, okay, well, where's that sweatshirt being made? Mm-hmm. And and what's happened? Like, so I think, you know, we started opening those. And again, as technology was expanding, we were able to learn more and expand our own knowledge more about what was happening outside of maybe like our own circles. Mm-hmm. And so again, it, it in a lot of the articles, it talked about how this generation really loves a flexible work style. Mm-hmm. And again, I think we got the backlash of that whole work-life balance being a bad thing. But I think we were also it, that generation that when the pandemic happened, and all of a sudden, a lot of us were told to work from home or be hybrid. Like, we were like, yeah, we've either been doing this, asking for it for a long time. And I think this generation is also the first one that will give you pushback if post-pandemic you're like, no, 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 everybody has to be back in the office now. And we're like, well, why? Mm-hmm. You were doing it just fine mm-hmm. during a global crisis. <laughs> well, and I've noticed, uh, this is like very anecdotal, but I think, so between like your age up until probably my age, I think I really am like the cutoff of, we were going through this rapid increase in technology, but we were being kept up with it. Mm-hmm. And so now I think people have an idea that like kids and like the younger you are, the more like technology proficient you are. And that in my experience, especially in teacher's college is not true. So like most people use like their laptops as like an internet machine. Yes. You know what I mean? And so like when I was in school, I remember like a being taught typing. Yes. Like they don't teach typing anymore, but like we're still typing on computers. I know. It makes no sense that that was taken away. Or I remember being taught like how to Google something because like at one point my teacher had to learn that yeah as an adult I just remember using ask Jeeves yeah (laughs) so like I was taught how to like if you were looking for specific information compute like literacy media literacy yeah is this a reputable source to me that's even more important now so much more important how to use excel how to make tables like things that are like skills and jobs that you have like I was taught that in elementary school yeah so then but flash forward to now so when I was in my grade four placement at a school here it was the first time they were doing EQAO after the pandemic and And just for our listeners that might not know what that is that is like big testing standardized testing across the province that takes place in grade three and grade six Mm -hmm. and so they were switching it used to be like the ministry would send like physical packets and you yeah. would do EQAO in a packet. My and mom used to go to Toronto to mark to them. mark them. Yeah. She loved it. It was like a party. Yeah. <laughs> um so this was the, this was the first year I was coming back from the pandemic and they were doing it online. Yeah. And they really thought like especially with these grade 3s it was just going to be like hey here's your laptop do EQAO. <laughs> they were having to teach them the concept of a username and yeah. a password and you have to remember the password and you have to type it in. They couldn't, they didn't know how to go onto Microsoft and they couldn't do anything. Because you just assumed because you were shoving 
you know, Netflix and, and iPod Patrol in, their face. in front of kids. And I'm sure half of them were like trying to swipe on the screen. Yeah. And so then, so then in my grade four class, we were doing a geography project. And basically what I was having them do is they had to pick an industry. So like mining, fishing, all of that, and just do a project on it. So if you're doing fishing, obviously you're going to find that that's really common in Newfoundland, you know? Right. And so the, the project was so easy. It was like literally <laughs> name the region like so name the political region so the province or the geographic region that this takes place in and or um so like western cordillera canadian shield all those things they couldn't they didn't have the mental capacity to be like oh so i'm doing fishing so what region does fishing take place in canada like they couldn't put in like their specific topic so they were googling like what region does this take place in canada and yeah. then getting frustrated when it wasn't coming up. Like, they didn't know how to Google. Right. And I just totally took that for granted. I just thought they would be able to do that because that's the world they've lived in. Yeah. And I think that's what everyone thought. Well, which is why I think it's so easy to pass off anything as actual information. Yeah. But if you don't, like you were talking about media literacy, if you're not able to teach kids to not trust their first page of Google... Mm-hmm. Or to know that if you go too deep into Google, it gets mm-hmm. into some weird shit. <laughs> but to know that, like, that media literacy, this is how you Google. This is how you try to, like, look for sources. Here's some, like, solid names of, of, of organizations that, you know, vet. Yeah, look for the dot .orgs. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and now, like, it's this, interesting. Yeah. Last point of the side point. Yeah. The Google that kids have now is so different than the Google I had. Like, it's the first page of Google is sponsored ads. Yeah. And you never think about that, that... When you think when you're typing up whatever you're typing up on Google, like when I looked up Benjamin Spock, <laughs> you just think you're getting all of the results for that, whatever you're looking up. Right. No, you're getting what Google thinks because it's constantly monitoring you, what it thinks you want to see. Yes. And it's putting that at the front. Yeah. And that's scary. It's a different topic for a different podcast, but that's really scary. I would like to get into a bit more like AI and algorithms, maybe in season two, yeah. because it's incredible again, the different worlds I work in, because I'm still connected to philanthropy, and I just got sent a webinar, like, you know, would you like to do this webinar? It's all about AI and fundraising. And then another one I saw was AI and HR. And I'm just thinking, like, you know, this is beyond, like, the fact that the Writers Guild was on strike because AI is stealing their jobs. Mm -hmm. But, like, what if AI starts answering employee questions? Mm -hmm. So... Maybe I'll do this as a future uh, future <laughs> podcast. So let's get back to the to the generations. Yeah. So again, just to sort of wrap up the millennials, it really talked about how to retain us, and and this one stood out to me because while millennials like, you know, we we like the idea of job security, we wanted to be where we feel valued, and again, going back to the ways in which people can give value to a job. The way, like, this one article specifically talked about is the benefits don't have to be things like a raise or a promotion in in title or even a bonus that's financial. I mean, we all like money, but 
in order to actually retain a millennial, they want to see that work-life balance brought into their reward system. Mm -hmm. So if you could increase their wellness program, if you can pay for upgrading or education, tuition assistance, if you can add more benefits to like a healthcare plan, that's where you will retain a millennial. That is where they will say, okay, someone over there is going to give me five grand more a year but their benefits package sucks. So I'm going to stay here because I'm actually getting more value from this company. Mm -hmm. So again, that's a really great way to retain millennials. Last but not least, the dear Gen Z. So again, as we talk about the five generations in the workplace, it's just as of 2023 that the oldest members of Gen Z are entering the workplace. But it did talk about how a lot of them are going to be entrepreneurial, independent, career-minded individuals. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about out of the pandemic, how many, and this is going to be, you know, very generalized, but like the people that turned their hobbies into a career, mm-hmm. right? So the people that were making candles at home or jewelry, and now they're like, hey, actually, I can do this for a living. Mm-hmm. You know, they might have another position or they might have multiple things, but they were able to take something that they just like to do and make it a career. And again, this is a generation and maybe I'll let you talk a little bit more about it, but like they really value the personal connections in a workplace. They want, they want to be asked how are you doing? And they want the other person to actually care and listen to them. Mm-hmm. They want to feel that empathy. You care about things like mental health supports. You want to know that, like, my generation was like, okay, what are your company policies around, you know, philanthropy and giving back? The Gen Zs are concerned not just about that, but they want to know that you're. DEI, your diversity, your equity, and your inclusion policy is actually practice, that it's not just written in, in a book and a binder and put on a shelf. They want to see it rubber hitting the road mm-hmm. and that they're going to want to learn from others. They like those personal connections, so they want that mentorship. So again, this is where you loop back in the traditionalists that want to do that, have them linked with your Gen Zs to really show them this is how we do this job well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Gen Z, maybe more than any other generation before, how do I put this? So like I've seen it said like a lot online that like Gen Z, it's like red flag in an interview as if they say like, this is like a family. (laughs) Gen Zs don't want that. No. You know? They're like, I got one. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like I think there's a lot of Gen Zs who are saying like, I don't inherently find my value as a person in my job. Yeah. Where in the past like that your job is a huge part of your identity absolutely you know and gen z's i think more than other generations are like i'm leaving my job at the door yeah you know this is a place i this is a place i come to make money Mm -hmm. and that's it and so that's why you're seeing people like i love making jewelry like that's something that makes me feel good i do find value in that for myself i'm gonna monetize that yeah and so i think corporate culture is really going to have to shift because Gen Z kind of just doesn't buy into corporate culture. Yeah. You know, and I think, again, where I was saying with millennials, you know, millennials felt midway through their life this disappointment. Gen Z came up 
we're 10 years younger, so that, that disappointment came 10 years earlier. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You're like, we never had, we never had uh, any hope. And, yeah, and, and because of the internet, like, I think it's something to be said. Like, I used to go online. The internet used to be, like, a really weird place. I think the internet actually has become a lot safer, even though it's, even though it's probably become a lot more dangerous, it's become a lot harder for, like, children to, like, just go onto YouTube and, like, look up a beheading video, which I saw. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know? Wait, we can put in a lot more parental controls now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. And, um, like, I think we were just, yeah, like, the the recession was, like, the backdrop of my childhood. Right. You know? Like, I remember being really aware that, like, GM was declaring bankruptcy, and that was a huge deal. <laughs> but not really. <laughs> like, seven being, like, oh, I hope GM's okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that sounds bad. <laughs> and so I think there's, like, or, like, I think about the fact that during September, we were talking about, like, what would be in an event that would shock you, like, 9-11? And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything because of 9-11. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't remember watching it, but I just always existed in this world where something like that could happen. Yeah. You know, so we have, there's no shock for us. And we're in this really weird situation of our future seems really doomy and gloomy, and we don't feel that we have much control over it. Right. Which is, it makes it really hard to be proactive about your future and, like, optimistic about your future, honestly. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I pay into CPP, but, like, I really don't think I will access that as an adult. Like, Alberta's already saying they're going to be getting rid of it. Yeah, I know. I've been saying for years, I mean, I'm I'm an entrepreneur. I haven't paid into CPP for a while. But that I've never, like, when Evan and I were doing like our retirement planning. We've never mm-hmm. included CPP as something that will ever be available to us. It'll be a bonus if we get anything. Yeah, but and, it, and so it's hard to have patience with the generation that is currently receiving it yeah. and are the people that are trying to do away with it. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about, and this is a silly anecdote, but when I was in high school, they were voting to whether or not my high school was going to institute uniforms. Mm. And I was I was in grade 12 about to go into OAC. And so they had already said that the grade 13s, even if they did implement the uniforms, the grade 13s would be exempt because it was going to be our last year that we would have yeah. to adhere to the regular dress code or whatever it was, but that because a lot of us would barely be there, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have to. And and so the the current grade 13s at that year weren't allowed to vote. Right. And I made the point, I remember bringing it up at like, I don't know, some student council meeting, even though I wasn't in student council, I'm like, why are you even letting grade 12s vote? Yeah. Because we could all vote that, yeah, these suckers should wear uniforms yeah. when we know we're exempt. So the vote did go in favor of uniforms, but they gave it a two-year implementation. Oh, wow. Which then really sunk for the grade 11s of that year, that they would have been in their last year and they would have had to wear uniforms. Because mm-hmm. I think at, when I was in grade 12, the grade 9s of that year were the last generation to be eligible for grade 13. Right. But the same thing, right? Like, we're voting and deciding on things that probably won't impact us. Well, and that makes me think of, so when I was in high school, when I was in grade 10, like, the big political thing going on was Brexit. And so my teacher, my civics teacher, brought that up, that the vast majority of people that voted in the referendum, overall, just the majority of people that voted, period, Mm -hmm. 
and the majority of people that voted for the UK to leave the European the Union, EU, yeah, um, were people like over the age of sixty-five, hmm. and so you're voting like not for your future. Yeah. You know, but then at the same time, this is like, I feel like this comes up every four years. I have so much anxiety around elections because like, how do you get young people to vote? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is always the issue. Yeah. They just well, don't show up. Well, apparently T-Swift is doing it. Yeah. Well, she's also saving the U.S. economy. Uh, her and Beyonce. Beyonce. So, I mean, like, who runs the world? Millennials. <laughs> Women. <laughs> well... So that's kind of our deep dive into the five generations at work. Yeah, I just want to end with this anecdote. I have lived this in my family mm-hmm. when um, I used to work at an institution in town that both my mom worked at and my grandma worked at. So my grandma had first started working there in 1980. She retired in 2019 because of the pandemic. She was immunocompromised. My mom got a job there in 2001. And then I started working there in, like, 2018 or whatever it was. Yeah, Yeah, and, like, obviously my grandma's passed now. But it would have been really interesting to talk, to compare all three of our experiences within that institution. Yeah. Across that, like, however many years that was. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, your grandma starting work versus your mom starting work Mm -hmm. versus you entering. Mm -hmm. Like, probably three vastly different experiences and... You know, I'm sure you, you know, you might have talked about onboarding and your grandma probably would have been like, what? What? Yeah. I started work this day. (laughs) Yeah. Her job was, they were essentially taking everything that they kept as written records and like putting it on computers. Hmm. And that's just all she did. Wow. Yeah. Yes. I was thinking about you, your mom and your grandma when we were talking about this to say that that's a, a very great example of. Well, and she's a great example of like, she was 77 still working full time Mm -hmm. in her job. And I think because she loved it. Yeah, 100%. Like, it wasn't a financial reason. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, well, you know, if you have multiple generations in your workplace and you've got stories you want to share about the ways in which you get them to work together, we'd love to Mm -hmm. hear from you. And if you have topics or ideas for season two, share them. We'd love to hear them. Yeah. We're going to be taking the next couple months to, um, to get ready to deliver season two, so... You tell us, audience, this is your time to put in your input. Yeah, great. Well, um, we can wrap up with talking about what we've read or watched or listened to or... Just experience. Just experience. Just <laughs> life. This is definitely going to be getting a repackaging probably for the next season. <laughs> You're like, no pressure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I downloaded and I am about a quarter of the way through Britney Spears' book. Oh, can that be a podcast? Mm-hmm. Have you heard, so you're listening to Michelle Williams. Yeah. But Justin Timberlake. Just finished chapter 13. 11 to 13 was mostly about Justin. And, and his genuine impression. <laughs> Michelle I, Williams' impression of Justin Timberlake's impression of genuine. Yes. But yes, I, I have really, really enjoyed listening to Michelle Williams share Britney's story. And what's really interesting is Audible is... So on top of it, it's like, oh, well, you liked listening to Minka Kelly and now you're listening to Britney Spears. How about, and it's just recommended Elliot Page's book to me, Mm. Page Boy, and I'm most definitely going to purchase it. But I'm also really interested, and I've never been a biography person, but I'm also really interested in Jada Pinkett Smith's (laughs) new book, Worthy, only because I just finished listening to her in a podcast. 
and I did not know that she was best friends with Tupac growing up. You didn't up. know that? I didn't know that. Wow. I know. I'll just do mine quickly. I'm not listening or reading or doing anything other than turning on my sad lamp every morning. So that's what I'm doing is I'm using a sad lamp. I've been obsessed with it. I'm telling everyone about it. Um, I got a sad lamp and I turn it on every morning when I first wake up and it's really helping me get out of bed and I cycle in front of it for half an hour every morning. And I, you know what, if it's a placebo effect, like I don't care um, because it's still working. If placebos Um, work, they work. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It makes me feel so good after I use it. I've noticed like a noticeable difference in my uh, energy levels and focus throughout the day. So I'm just riding my sad lamp high. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, great. All right, well, see you in the new year. See you. Thank you for listening to Here's a Solution, presented by Emily Shandruck Solutions. This podcast is hosted by Emily Shandruck and Chelsea Lockstead. Editing and sound engineering by Nick Donati. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and wherever you love to listen. And if you would like, you can follow us on Facebook at Emily Shandrick Solutions, on Instagram at Solution Boss. And if you have a question or a situation you'd like us to discuss on the show, send us a DM or email us at podcast at emilyshandrucksolutions.com. Shandrick is S-H-A-N-D-R-U-K. For more information, visit emilyshandrucksolutions.com.